The Start On Demand. On demand. A Winnipeg grocery store once again opens its doors on a holiday and once again gets threatened with fines by the province. We'll tell you about food fare and how they told the province to take a hike. In case you forgot, the PST has gone down. On Canada Day, it fell from 8% to 7%. But the math from the province on how much money you're going to save isn't really adding up. And a Manitoba woman who happens to be our friend is vying for the crown of Ms. Health and Fitness with Muscle and Fitness Hers. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling with Loren McNabb on vacation this week. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, and this is the Tuesday, July 2nd podcast for the start hopefully you had a great long weekend greg mackling just made a really interesting observation he said well just what was it that you just said to me greg home depot yet being closed yesterday actually gave me permission to take it easy why that store specifically is that your home away from home it sort of is and it's my go-to when i need something when i'm puttering around the yard and yesterday I actually thought geez you know I could use a a new garden hose Mm -hmm. and they've got these fancy reels that you can get and yesterday I was feeling like maybe I would purchase one okay and I popped over to the Home Depot and it was closed yeah just about everything else was closed as well except for our friends at Food Fair we'll talk about that a little bit later but it did It, it Sort of gave me permission to take it easy and just to do my thing a little bit slower than I normally would. Well, in the question of the day at cjob.com over the weekend, which is brought to you by Mr. Furnace, don't call them first, you'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace, 204-832-6243. What are you looking forward to most this weekend? And by a mile, resting was the front runner at mm. 62%. 23% was family time. 11% was fireworks, and we're going to talk about that at 645. And then uh, with a very slim margin, 1.64% camping, 1.64% street festival, and uh, 0.81% night market. But uh, indeed, the, the rest the rest was good. It was nice to get the long weekend. The, the healing power of that extra day just kind of recharges the batteries uh, for, those who, for those who work sort of a standard Monday to Friday kind of deal. Yeah, and so for everybody that got the day off, awesome, that isn't used to it. Everybody that worked so we could do other stuff, also, thank you for that. But Food Fair back in the headlines over the weekend and and last night as they opened their five locations and they received a visit from police. So we're digging into that to get more comment uh, from uh, the Zeed family, uh, good friends of 680 CJOB. Uh, A lot of people uh, frustrated with the fact that that the Zeds seem to be getting harassed about this. They are contravening the law, but there are uh, a lot of people who are supporting them, including one of our listeners who says, um, blank the province, all sort of expletive, deletive uh, symbols here. They cannot dictate when I can or cannot go shopping. If I choose to go or don't go on a stat holiday, that is my choice not the provinces, and if the store wants to open or close, that is their business and their decision. Change the out-of-date law. I work for one of the big retailers that were closed on Monday. 
My husband and I chose to go to uh, uh, food fair to support this neighborhood business. We really didn't need anything, but picked up a few items anyways. We went just to show our support that we are free to shop on that day if we choose, and the province should stop being a big bully and concentrate on bigger battles like wait times at the hospital. Yeah, like the liquor stores were open from 10 to 6. (laughs) Uh, So so if you want to go buy a bottle of rye, you can do that, but you can't go buy a loaf of bread. From a grocery store? Or a nice steak or what have you. Uh, Lauren says, I shopped at Food Fair yesterday just in case they got a fine again. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah, so lots of community members standing up. I know that that's not an uncommon refrain. I'm hearing it in a lot of places. Well, good, and you can keep that feedback coming in at 204-780-6868. Also, we have lots to discuss this morning on the Illicit Drug Task Force report. As you heard in Jeff Braun's newscast, was released on Friday, and... We have reaction that we want to share for you coming up at 7.07 and at 8.45. Brad, I want to draw on your experience in this business, working the news desk, uh, etc. When something comes out on a Friday afternoon, what does that say to you? Is there, does it indicate any sort of importance, lack thereof? We used to call it uh, Friday document dump, and that would be when... When the government would, any level of government would release something on a Friday, specifically in the afternoon, it would be, I guess it was, we took it as, well, we got to, we got to release this at some point. So uh, we're not really excited about it. So let's do it on a Friday afternoon where hopefully people will already be checked out for the week and won't be paying attention, and then they'll forget about it over the weekend, and come Monday we can just sort of move on. So and in this case, <laughs> they, do weekend? It, they do it going into a long weekend, and yeah, we're not going to let this one go. So We're not. Yeah, we're not going to let this one go. No, no, this is not going to go under the radar. The report itself underwhelming the recommendations, in my opinion, and to many others. I spoke to a lot of people about this report over the weekend, and uh, for the most part, uh, there was consensus that this report and many of the findings in this report should have been the starting point for the study of this task force, uh, not their final conclusions and suggestions as to what we should be doing moving forward. Very few specifics in that report in terms of funding, hours of operations, size of operations uh, that have been indicated as being the recommendations, uh, very nonspecific. So we'll uh, get to that and bring you some comments from the mayor, from the premier, uh, Wab Canoe and others involved uh, in this meth crisis. Mackling and McGarry McNabb is away. And in case you missed it, yesterday something happened that's going to put a little bit of extra money in your pocket. Did you hear that fall? Did you hear that that, that PST fall from 8 to Kajong 7%? I didn't hear it. No. I forgot about it. Yeah, the provincial progressive conservative government announced on March 7th that the provincial sales tax would be reduced from 8%. The drop comes exactly six years to the day after the then NDP government increased the sales tax to 8%. The PC party campaigned in the last provincial election on a province to reduce the PST. 
Now the reduction comes just a few months before Manitobans head to the polls in an early election. Finance Minister Scott Fielding has previously called it the biggest tax cut in Manitoba's history. This means about $325 million in annual savings for Manitobans. This from Fielding in March. Now for 2019, a single person will save about $86 and a four-person household will save roughly $239 in the six months the tax is reduced. For 2020, a single person will see about $174 in savings and a four-person household will save just under $500. Manitoba now has the third lowest PST in the country. Alberta has no sales tax, while Saskatchewan has a 6% PST. Now... I'm questioning these numbers. Okay. Uh, just I did some very basic math. In order to save $500 on the 1% drop of the PST, very basic math without doing the 8% times what you spend and the 14 roughly percent drop in the PST, $500 on 1% of PST would mean you would need to spend $50,000 on taxable goods in a ta- in a calendar year for a family of 4 does that sound very unaverage to anybody else does to me yeah that's a lot it's a lot i'm glad that you did the math on that and not me <laughs> actually it was one of our listeners pointed it out to me the other day and i pulled a couple people over the weekend and uh, the math seems to work for me, seems to work in terms of the conversations that I've had. Am I missing something here? 1% of 50,000 is 500. I'm pretty sure I don't spend $50,000 a year on my mortgage, which I don't think has PST, and all the other things I buy combined. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That's a good point. I wonder how they came, how they did that math. We'll have to ask some questions about that but even if you're still only saving a few bucks is it do you think it's it's worth it to to cut the tax because i know in the past you've spoken about how you like that at least there the money is going towards something i think you know my feeling is that we've got such an infrastructure deficit in our project province i would have loved to have said hey you know what we were we want to reduce the pst but $330 million, that could build an interchange a year on the perimeter highway or some other major infrastructure project every single year. I would have been more in favor of that, but that's that's my opinion. Would be curious to hear how other folks see it and uh, whether they're happy about this. Uh, to me, I don't think it makes a huge amount of difference because that 500 bucks number, yeah, I'm going to cut that in half. $250, yeah. It's nice. It's about 25 bucks a month. Mm-hmm. I don't mind 25 bucks a month. That pays for my Tim Hortons every morning for a week. I'll take it. <laughs> you spent 25 bucks a week at Tim Hortons? Well, I get my tea and my muffin. So it's three eighty-five, so roughly $4. Steeped tea. Steeped tea. One sugar, two milk if you're dropping them off at the station. <laughs> And in a moment, we want to introduce you to some Manitoba world champions. But before that, getting tons of feedback on the PST at 204-780-6868. Good morning in regards to the PST debate and whether a family would have to spend $50,000 to save $500 in PST. That is correct. 
However, when you take into account big ticket items like cars, trucks, snowmobiles, boats, and things of that nature, it can add up quite quickly. I understand people don't buy these items every year, but the other thing that's not taken into account is this equation uh, into this equation are all the big ticket items that are bought by companies and corporations and that they also pay PST and that's getting lumped into the family number, I believe. And I believe that's exactly it. So that's why I feel this number is somewhat disingenuous mm-hmm. when you're saying that a family of four will save 500 bucks. I, I, I think it's I think it's impossible for most people to save that kind of money. Our good friend Eve said, I just bought a used vehicle, 3,800 bucks. He says he saved a whole $38 on that purchase. <laughs> and Grant says, Greg, I agree with the infrastructure idea. It would have been very good. They could use some uh, money to bring Highway 75 up to standard, for example. Each government talks about how important infrastructure is, but do nothing or do n- not enough about it. In the meantime, the drop of 1% means I can pa- party more for Manitoba's 150th. Uh, a shot at the early election, I believe. <laughs> Thank you, Grant, at 204-780-6868. Keep those text messages coming, please. Are we doing this next segment uh, because of its uh, connection to... Uh, Europe and your trip over there? Not in any way. Not in any way, <laughs> shape or form. We like to celebrate the achievements of Manitobans, whether they take place in the Czech Republic or in Brandon, Manitoba. And it was a triumphant Canada Day long weekend for a team with a very strong Manitoba contingent. Yep, seven Manitoba players and two Manitoba staff were at the forefront of the gold medal win for Team Canada West at the World Junior Ball Hockey Championship in the Czech Republic, which wrapped up on Sunday. And we are joined live on 680 CJOB by Paul Castis, the head coach of the under-16 Team Canada West, joins us now live on the start. Paul, good morning to you, sir. Good morning. Uh, thanks for having me on. You betcha. Congratulations, Paul. This is a big deal. It's a uh, crowning achievement for your group of young men, uh, Manitobans uh, dominating all the tournament uh, MVP award, the top forward, top defenseman, uh, your goalie, Cole Plowman, had the best goals against average, outstanding, and you defeated another Canadian team to beat to boot. Yeah, no, uh, the, the Manitoba guys, and I mean, the whole team in general, we're really proud of the way they played. Um, but yeah, the Manitoba guys were, were a big part of it. That's for sure. Um, we can all be very proud of their accomplishments over here. Um, the fact that we got to play Canada East on the, the eve of Canada Day in the finals was just uh, icing on the cake for the whole program. Was it was it kind of nice? Uh, I would imagine there was a rivalry between Canada West and Canada East in this sort of a contest. Well, yeah, of course. We we were traveling <laughs> with them the whole time. Uh, we had training camp in the same city, same hotel. So the boys were in each other's faces uh, for the, the entire trip. So you knew uh, it was an extra special game and, and, you know, you really wanted to come out on top on that one. So pretty proud of the way the boys played and, and the way they were able to persevere through that. So Paul, tell us a little bit about ball hockey and its popularity. It, it seems to be growing. It is. It's it's definitely growing um, through Canada. Um, Manitoba would be one of the smaller smaller associations which is you know also goes to speak to how impressive uh the amount of players we had on the team and and their and how they contributed to the the overall goal but uh in canada it's definitely growing um uh, in ontario it's quite large in bc it's quite large um and it's very big over here in, in central europe like in czech republic and slovakia 
are two of the more powerhouse uh, nations when it comes to it through, through junior and uh, adult ranks. Um, but uh, definitely hoping that, that uh, this helps grow the sport back home, uh, being able to see seven, seven players come over here and, and contribute the way they do and are now able to call themselves world champions for the rest of their lives. Um, I hope it, it spreads the word amongst the hockey community and, and we get more people involved, more people trying to try it out because it's definitely a good uh, compliment to ice hockey. It's nice to get off the skates and, and keep the cardio and the skill set up during the summer. Well, in terms of getting into a sport like that, uh, because I know that that traditional hockey is very expensive to get your kid involved in that. Like, okay, how much equipment does one wear when you play ball hockey? It's minimal. Um, They go uh, helmet, gloves, uh, specific ball hockey shin pads, running shoes, and shorts. That's essentially the the mandatory stuff. Elbow pads would be, you know, recommended, but they're not not mandatory. Um, So... There's definitely it's definitely cheaper when it comes to equipment. Um, season pricing obviously is much cheaper as well. We have a spring and slash summer youth league that goes in throughout Winnipeg in some of the arenas. Um, but it, it's a lot it's a lot cheaper than ice hockey, obviously. And uh, and at the same time, it's I think the guys really enjoy it because it's a lot more stress free. And and these guys are all high end ice hockey guys who who have grueling seasons and and you know in the summertime if I can give them a place to come play, have fun, hang out with their friends, and at the same time, they're, they're still keeping up their cardio and their physical fitness. Um, it's just a win-win. Well, let's give a shout-out to the players here, and you can correct me if I mispronounce any names here, if you don't mind, Paul. Connor Roulette, Absolutely. Dawson Pasternak, Tyler Teasdale, Owen Weiss, Nate Goodbrinson, Rory Neal, and Cole Plowman are the players from Winnipeg, and you also had Braden McKay of Winnipeg, who was the equipment manager. Do okay with the names? Yeah, that was really good. Right on. Well, congratulations, Paul. I know you're staying in Europe for a little bit, so enjoy your time there, and uh, uh, we look forward to talking again. For those that might want to get involved in ball hockey, what's the best way to to go about it? Yeah, just uh, head over to the Manitoba ballhockey.com uh, website, uh, Manitoba Minor Ball Hockey, if you're looking for the minor league specifically, and they have the information about our leagues, our upcoming leagues, our leagues that are currently running, and how to register and such. Paul Castus is the head coach of the under-16 Team Canada West World Ball Hockey Champions, winning the title over the weekend in Prague. Congratulations, Paul. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, Manitobans dominated the individual awards, as Greg pointed out. Dawson Pasternak, tournament MVP and scoring title. Connor Roulette won top forward. Rory Neal, top defenseman. Cole Plowman, best goals against average in the tournament. And the Manitoba representatives are all Western Hockey League draft picks. So right on, guys. Way to go over in the Czech Republic. Yeah, very exciting news. And like we said off the top, we love to celebrate the achievements of Manitobans uh, around the world doing things on a large stage. And uh, I was actually alert, alerted to this, or we were, uh, by one of our listeners who said, hey, Paul and his crew are on their way over to Europe. You might want to reach out to them. Uh, and I know that Christian O'Mel did so on the sports show last week, and uh, we're doing so today in celebration of their world championship. If you want to read more, you can do so at cjob.com. We've linked the story to the 680CJOB Instagram story this morning if you want to follow us there. Mackling and McGarry, McNabb is on vacation. Kelly Moore is here. Jeff Braun is here. Jeff Fortier. And I'm lying in bed last night, at, I don't know, 10.30, 10.45. And I live in St. Boniface. So 
I can hear the fireworks going off at the forks and sounded cool. And I wish that I could have been, that I probably should have just gotten up and watched them from yeah. my balcony. But uh, I was able to have, I was able to fall asleep through them somehow, but I kind of was wondering, I can't be the only person who's in bed right now getting ready to go to work tomorrow morning. And should, I, I thought, would the fireworks be better on June 30th. We got a text on that. Well, first of all, I want to admonish you for not renting out your apartment as a private luxury suite <laughs> to uh, celebrate the fireworks. You probably could have got 10 grand for your apartment for one day, you know. That's a great idea. Fully loaded up with alcohol. You got the TV and the balcony, like primo seat. So we'll move that aside. Greg's an entrepreneur. <laughs> one of our loyal listeners, uh, Mo, says, uh, good morning, guys. I was in Columbus, Ohio a few years ago and fireworks were held on July 3rd. Awesome fireworks. Then they had parades and stuff like that the next day. I think the fireworks here should be the day before. Brad on the other side of it says, yes, fireworks should be held on Canada Day. That's the whole point of celebrating. So what do you guys think? Jeff Braun? It matters not to me. The needle doesn't move for me if I see fireworks or if I don't see fireworks. It's Could you see them from your couch? Uh, I have no idea. I didn't. I wouldn't even turn my head to look to see if they're. I, I like them if I see them, but I'm not going out of my way to watch them. So it doesn't bother. And the noise never keeps me up. And so, yeah, I'm the party pooper. I guess I don't know. <laughs> okay, no. so how about in an overall philosophical sense? Does it make sense to accommodate maybe more? It's not like people? it's a one in the morning. I don't think. I don't think. I mean, you go to bed early. We're at 10 o'clock at night or 10.30. That doesn't seem like it's too late for well, me. Well, a lot yeah. of people had to work today, right? It's yeah. not a holiday today. Go to bed today. at midnight. Yeah, but if, they go, of, if you can't get a buy on five hours sleep once a year, uh, you need a doctor. You go to football games. You go to... <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Jeff Braun at cjob.com. How do you top that? You can't. Do, do it in December when the sun sets at four. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sorry, Cal. Oh, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, that's it. <laughs> I'm just sitting here wondering <laughs> if I start saying something, when's the next line coming up? I'm done. Yeah. Oh, you're done? That's yep. it? Okay. Yep. Ran yeah. complete. But, you know, the thing is that you go to hockey games, you go to football games, they don't end till 10 o'clock or 10.30 either, and, and they happen on a, on a weeknight. So this is starting at 10.45 or yeah, 11 o'clock. 15 or 20 minutes. But Brett needs to sleep. <laughs> well, yeah. So, okay, so for the small pocket of us, along with the bakers and, and maybe others that have to get up in the middle of the night to go to work, who else cares? Everybody else was at the fireworks watching. So, mm-hmm. I, I, w- I, w- I mean, I didn't see them either. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of wish that maybe it had been Sunday night so that uh, we could have gone and watched it. But, hey, I'm all for the better of the greater good. So, if it's more enjoyable for people to watch it on the actual holiday, then so be it. Yeah, well, well, for well, the record, well, I'm not – sorry, Forte. Yep. I just want to make to, to make it clear. I'm not complaining. Like, right. I, I, it sounded cool. And I thought, hey, that sounds fun. Yeah. And I was able to fall – back asleep so it wasn't the end of the world but i just wondered like is this going to bother some people and i just wondered too like if you go if the fireworks are on june 30th and you don't have to work the next day you can go out and see the fireworks and then go continue your celebration as opposed to pile back in the car and go home and go straight to bed yeah so well that's what, what i noticed on saturday not saturday sunday is that there were plenty of fireworks yeah. going on um i could see from my balcony i could see like all over the place i could see them so 
I guess there are other options of where to go. Yeah, fair enough. We were up at Lactabani, and they had their fireworks Saturday night. Uh, they also had Sunday as a backup date in case things didn't uh, work out on Saturday. So I thought that was a good strategy for them, and the fireworks out there were really, really good. They do a, a tremendous job. So, yeah, this is a conversation that I wasn't anticipating having this morning, but I could see the merits of doing it sort of like a New Year's Eve thing because the holiday is New Year's Day, really mm-hmm. New Year's Eve is the evening, and doing the party at night and uh, celebrate into the wee hours, and then you can still have your street festivals, etc. You can still have a hot dog and ice cream in the daytime. I don't want to take anything away from anybody. I just think maybe it might be the better setup all around for all concerned. Yeah, you can let us know, 204-780-6868. And, and I, cause I, I often wonder, like, why not move other events like this to a day where people don't have to go to work the next day, like the Great Cup. I really is that it's a different conversation, but I wish the it's Great not, Cup was on Saturday. Sa- no, yeah. I think it's similar. I think Saturday's well, a great idea. Way back when it used to be played on a Saturday, and uh, then people thought, no, it'd be a better idea to have it on a Sunday. Uh, so maybe you could have it earlier in the day on Sunday. It doesn't stop people from watching the Super Bowl on Sunday, that's for sure. No, there's uh, no question that it, uh, that it doesn't. But when I think about the Great Cup and, and having it on a Saturday, even for traveling, if you want to travel to go and see your team play in the Grey Cup, it means you have to take a day or two off of work. Yeah. If it was on a Saturday, conceivably, you could leave late Friday night, come home Sunday, and never miss a day of work. Then you weren't partying nearly hard enough if you could. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have a fair point there, Kelly. Well, that's the thing, yeah. like Kelly, you say it doesn't stop people from watching, but how many people does it stop from going to work the next day? Well, th- that's the, the whole key is they either take a sick day or they, they take a day off. You know, I was just thinking what the, we were talking about here, though, for July 1st. You know, you have wherever you're having the fireworks, and let's just use the forks as an example, people have been at the forks for most of the day. Uh, and so probably a lot of them would schedule their visit to the Forks uh, to also include the fireworks. So, you know. Yeah, because if it's uh, middle of the week, July 1st, then June 30th, people got to work till 5 o'clock anyways. And then they might not want to go down to the Forks because the day's so rushed and that sort of, you know what I mean? They wouldn't get the whole day at the Forks before the fireworks the, then. Yeah. No, but they could get the whole day the next day. But maybe they don't want to go there two days in a row. Why not? It's a great place. Parking. Go twice. <laughs> <laughs> also, this year, if they would have had the fireworks on June 30th, it would have cost the city 1% more to buy them. <laughs> <laughs> Look Just at that. Throw don't, actually, I don't think they bought them yesterday. I think they would have gone fined if they would have bought them yesterday. Oh, they should have. <laughs> Deliver them on the 1st. That's when we'll pay you. <laughs> the one thing I will say, though, is uh, from all uh, accounts, man, it was just a great July 1st in Winnipeg with all of the celebrations that were taking place across the city. So, uh, you know, whether uh, uh, you were uh, staying up late enough to watch the fireworks or not, uh, I'd say Winnipeg did it right on July 1st. Mackling and McGarry McNabb back next week from vacation. And Mackling, let's talk some hockey. Let's talk some hockey. Winnipeg Jets, uh, very active in free agency. Not the club, (laughs) but former Winnipeg Jets. Two of them in particular signing what I would consider very lucrative deals with new teams, Kelly. Yeah, Tyler Myers, five years for $30 million with Vancouver. Brandon Tanev gets $3.5 million for six years. 
with the Pittsburgh Penguins. And, of course, Perry Lindholm also signed a deal as well. But uh, uh, I think that uh, Tanov and Myers in particular are two guys that the, the Jets are going to have to work hard to, to replace. I think with a guy like Tanov, you think, okay, Mason Appleton, maybe he can slot in up front and, and play a similar type role. Maybe not as physical, but might lend some other attributes the town of didn't have but uh, right now the jets you look at their blue line and it's a little thin back there for sure the jets did sign nathan bullyu right who yeah. they had not extended a qualifying offer when he was a restricted free agent that made him a ufa or an unrestricted free agent they re-upped him at a million for one, one million yes yeah, so for they, one season yeah, so they saved 1.4 million on what they were paying uh, or the equivalent thereof for last year so you know they, they just keep clearing space and and i wonder with you know montreal signing sebastian aho to an offer sheet the first one that we've seen in six years uh now of course the habs have to wait for carolina to match so in that interim i think if you're the you know if you're the toronto maple leafs and the winnipeg jets i don't think you're worried or you're you know uh obsessing over this but i think also you want to use that window that montreal's tied up waiting for an off or a decision from carolina to maybe do some proactive work on your own rfas just in case you know because we all think aho is going to wind up staying in carolina so mark bergevin still going to have that money to spend Maybe it is on a Mitch Marner, or maybe it is on an offer sheet for a Kyle Connor or Patrick Laine, remembering that those players also have to want to go there. One word answer. Is this a test for the Carolina Hurricanes franchise overall? Uh, yes, it is. Yeah, but they'll, but they'll also rise to that test. Mackling and McGarry McNabb is on vacation back next week. And our next guest is someone that we've spoken to, introduced you to before, but we want to reintroduce you to Amanda Sobey, who has been in the studio with us a handful of times to tell us about her journey with lymphedema and how fitness has helped transform her life. And Amanda, before we get into the reason you're here in this contest, MsHealthAndFitness.com is the website. Uh, lymphedema just maybe can you give us like a like a quick readers digest summary of what that is Absolutely. Um, the Reader's Digest version is, is is that you could either be born with it or it could happen due to secondary influences such as surgical or through a parasite. Um, but the layman's terms is that your lymphatic system just doesn't work. It um, is responsible for the plumbing and the flushing of all the toxins in your body. So therefore, if your lymphatic system does not work, it builds with fluid, protein-filled fluid that will become very dense and very hard, and um, you just completely swell, and it can occur in all parts of the body, all limbs, genitals, through your torso, and it's very under-recognized. So thanks for having me on the show. Well, and you've told us how exercise and this dedication to fitness has helped you in your battle with lymphedema. But when you talk about protein building up, we were just chatting, this competition in you're in right now, you're bulking up, so you're consuming a lot of protein, I imagine. Is that causing extra stress on your system? It's a it's a fine balance, and I've learned a lot through diet and through nutrition through this disease. And uh, yes, you're right. You just can't go ahead and eat whatever you want to eat. You don't really follow the same typical guidelines as the average person just because your body has difficulties removing certain ingredients. We shall just say it like that. <laughs> So the, the name of the contest is Ms. Health and Fitness through Muscle and Fitness Hers. And you were, how did you get involved in this? 
I saw a post and I submitted my name and I thankfully got uh, the positive feedback saying, sure, you can, can compete. And uh, I just think it's a really fun way to a highlight all the hard work that I've done, but I think it'd be more fantastic to share awareness. Since I've been doing this whole social media posting for lymphedema and it's part of my Facebook and Instagram followings is that uh, the largest social media following only has about 45,000 followers. The statistics for this disease has 250 to 350 million people worldwide that are diagnosed. Um, and those are the ones who are diagnosed. And it's unbelievable the support groups that are misdiagnosed, uh, bad therapist information or doctor information and it's just incredibly sad so it'd be really wonderful if everyone could take the time to vote daily and to support more awareness because again this is probably at least a good four to five percent of the entire human population that really is under recognized wow so this will give you a great platform to raise awareness as you're doing this morning? Well, not for me, but just for everybody else who stays alone in silence. Um, The people who don't understand what's going on, for the people who are suffering. um, I have such great support from all my fans and I'm doing this for them. They're worldwide. So shout out to everybody this morning um, because really this is for them. Um, Thankfully, I've been able to be in a position that I've been able to use my story to turn it around into a positive um, kind of a spokes forum for everybody, but it's just nice to have the extra support to people to chime in and to get on the cover of a magazine, right? Yeah, you're going to get a, the winner would get a two-page spread in Muscle and Fitness Hers, which is a magazine read by more than 500,000 people, and uh, the winner is going to get, I think, 20,000 bucks on top of that. So in order to get that crown, you have a long way to go because you're in group 70, so there are a lot of groups, and in your group there are, I think, it looks like 50 people that you're up against. So you're in round one right now? I'm in round one. And, and you're in second. I'm in second place. Woo-hoo. I was, uh, I'd love more people to chime in. It's a great accomplishment, but we definitely need more awareness and uh, it's just going to be awesome. I think the more people that can stand up and the more people that can vote, it's uh, the $20,000 I do intend to repurpose into this whole lymphedema project that I'm going to spearhead. So it's definitely money is going to be put to where it's needed and uh, I couldn't be more thankful for the support. So where can people follow you on Instagram, first and foremost? Instagram and Facebook. You can find me under am.sobi. And so that will be everything is there with the links. And also people can take an inside peek as to what I do to help motivate and empower and encourage others. Um, So for anybody who does have lymphedema or know anybody who is struggling with their health, please feel free to check it out, like and follow. And that would be amazing. Your most recent competition was just last month. Uh, How did you do there? I didn't actually place, unfortunately. Um, I think I need to do better based on posing and just my overall stage presence. My body and my figure, I felt, were more on point this year than the past couple of years. So I was very proud for what I've accomplished. And uh, you learn as you grow. So I think for this whole process that I've been part of, I think people want immediate results now. And what I've learned is, is that the consistency, the diligence to holding on to this routine, especially with having lymphedema, has ca- uh, created discipline for me. I don't just get a day off. I can't eat like regular people. And I really want people to understand that I don't do this. Like as much as I have fun doing this, this is also what saves my life. So there's a very huge element of um, 
just being consistent and, and making sure that you're doing the best. So where I did do for the bodybuilding competition, it won't be my last one. And I can't wait to see what I look like on stage for the next time that I really get everything fine-tuned and ready to rock the stage. Amanda Sobey is vying for the crown of Ms. Health and Fitness. And you can go to the 680 CJOB Instagram story for a link to where you can go vote for her and vote for her. Let's get her that crown. Joining us live in studio from Exchange District Walking Tours, we have Sabrina Janke, who is Special Assistant Research and Historical Initiatives with the Exchange District Biz. Good morning. How good are morning. you? Good morning. I'm good. How are you? Very good. So I'm at exchangedistrict.org, historic walking tours, and one of them has to do with Strike. It's called Strike the Extended Walking Tour. Sure is. So what do I? what happens when we go on this tour? So uh, the Exchange District was a predominantly industrial district in 1919, so it was hit really hard when uh, 35,000 workers walk off the job on May 15th. That area just shuts down. And there are a decent amount of like locations that were important to the strike within the Exchange District itself. Bloody Saturday obviously took place on Main Street right in front of City Hall. But the Winnipeg Telegram, one of the three major papers during the strike, was in the area, as well as the James Street Labor Temple, where the strike committee would meet. And then on top of that, there were thousands of strikers that met daily in Victoria Park, where a Mir Hotel is today, roughly. Which hotel? Mir Hotel on, it's near James and oh, Waterfront. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Okay. So obviously this is essentially the epicenter of the Winnipeg general strike. It was the epicenter of the economy oh, of yeah. Winnipeg. And so uh, with the revitalization of that part of the city, you can sort of feel, get maybe somewhat of a sense of what it might have been like a hundred years ago. Certainly not the number numbers yeah. of people working and, and, uh, and conducting commerce in that part of the city. But it, it does feel more alive now than it did. And you're probably not <laughs> old enough to remember what it was like down there 20 or 25 years ago, but I am, and I, and I know what a gigantic change has taken place yeah. in the exchange district. So there's a celebration of, of two things in my yeah. mind going on at the same time. Oh yeah, I would think. So the exchange district, from what everyone has told me, is very different than what it used to look like. I obviously don't remember that exactly, but you can feel it's a very exciting time to be downtown. There's two new monuments for the strike that just opened up too. There's the big tipped over streetcar in front of the Pantages Theater, so right near where it would have actually happened. And then there's sort of a billboard and map near MTC that was put up last year as well. So commemorations going on in the area too, which is very exciting. There's lots of nice public art happening. There's new murals downtown right now, I believe. Really? Yeah. So when I go on this tour, like how often, I guess, first of all, does this does this tour happen? So all of our tours are actually available by appointment anytime between 9 to 5, Monday to Friday, and 10 to 5 on Saturdays. Last time we can start a tour is about 4.30. But, oh, by appointment. So I could book like a... A tour just for, like, me and my girlfriend if I oh, wanted to? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Really? Our tour groups, we take groups as small as one person and as big as 30, generally speaking. Wow, isn't that something? So, yeah, we like the one-person tours. It's easier to sort of, like, be a bit more flexible. If you're into something specific, we can then go to that site. Oh. There's some adaptability to that then. That is fabulous. So there are some other tours you do as well in terms of celebrating art and architecture. Yeah. And then you separate the East and the West exchange. Is that yeah. right for different tours? Yeah. So there's a lot of content on both sides. I find that the East side is a little bit more sort of industrial history. The strike is pretty prominent on that side because that's the warehouse side. Whereas the West side's a little bit more social. There's hotels, there's bars, there's the old newspaper hub. Newspaper Row would have been on McDermott and Albert Street. 
in about 1900, and that was the Free Press, the Tribune, and the Telegram all on the same street corner. Oh, that is really, really cool. So if you learned, you must have learned a ton in terms of putting these tours <laughs> together. Yeah. And do you conduct them yourself from I time sure to time? I sure do, yeah. yeah. I'm around every day. That's great. And giving tours is a blast every time. So what's the reaction? Uh, it's got to be Winnipeggers and people that are visiting Winnipeg yeah. from elsewhere taking the tour. What What has the reaction to the tours been? It's been uh, phenomenal so far. Um, we doubled our numbers in May, which is really exciting, but we found that Strike the Extended Walking Tour was just a, like a smash hit. I think we did probably close to 30 of them in June, and the next closest tour was Art and Architecture with 14. So... Lots of strike tours. It's been a really positive reception. It's been a good mix of locals, a lot of school groups, and then a lot of actually Americans coming through and really? checking. Yeah, it's been really interesting. How do they get the word that this is something that they, that they can even do when they come here? Um, online is a big thing, I think, just like Googling things to do in Winnipeg. But uh, Tourism Winnipeg has a bunch of like itinerary planning stuff, and we've been in the media a decent amount with the strike tour that's coming up. So I think we're easier to find than normal. Do you get to go into any of the buildings? Uh, not so much. A lot of the buildings we talk about have been torn down is sort of the catch to that. So look, the James Street Labor Temple was torn down in 66. So that's another way. We pop into sort of the lobby of a banking hall when we get the chance to just to talk about like wealth and how grand they were in 1919 because those banks cost a lot of money to put up. Do you have some fairly unprecedented access then to some of these buildings or, uh, or, <laughs> or, 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 or do you get to go inside? Tell us a little bit more about what you get to see. So on the tour itself, it's a lot of outside stops because we're just sort of moving very quickly and talking sort of conceptually about what the area would have looked like. Even with banks, we're just sort of saying, here's the wealth that came through. But then we contrasted like the poverty near sort of the rail yards in Winnipeg because there's a fairly stark wealth gap in Winnipeg in 1919. But then we talk about some of the people involved. So if we go to Victoria Park, we talk about the people that spoke there, which would have been like William Ivins, who was the head of the labor church. Edith Hancock spoke there. She's the only woman to speak in Victoria Park, and she would often spend Sundays campaigning against the Committee of 1000, which was the group of elite men in Winnipeg who tried to shut down the strike. And there was Roger Bray, who was the most dangerous man in Winnipeg in 1919. He was a returned soldier who took the side of the strikers, so he sort of if he could win enough soldiers over to the strike side, it would not go well for the city if a revolution was coming like they thought. So they kept a very close eye on him. But he spoke at Victoria Park fairly regularly. And what, what, how did his campaign go? Did he get enough soldiers on his side? It's hard to say because the strike sort of ends with little in the way of like success for the strikers. They don't get a higher living wage. They don't get their demands met. So kind of, I think the success for Roger Bray is that when the city does arrest him and try and charge him with like anything... They're trying to put the strike leaders on trial to prove that they were acting seditiously or trying to overthrow Canada. These charges don't have a whole lot of basis. So what they managed to charge Bray with specifically is intent to commit a criminal nuisance. Oh, my. And he spends about six months in jail. So a very minor charge for... Sounds very convoluted as well. Oh, so, yeah, it was. And I want to go back to this Victoria Park. Yeah. You're talking about the, uh, these individuals speaking at Victoria Park because th- this is commonplace. I-, I know even still in Great Britain, it's sort of a, a pastime to go and head out to the parks and, and you literally get up on your soapbox, yeah. right? And this is where you share your opinion, your views, mm-hmm. and and try and build consensus or, or debate with other people that don't yeah. necessarily agree with you. Yeah, so Victoria Park was one of Winnipeg's first civic parks, actually, in the 1880s, and it became sort of a meeting hub throughout the 1910s, and then by 1919, it was sort of the heartbeat for the strike. There are 35,000 workers in Winnipeg off the job with nowhere to go, so you show up to Victoria Park, and there'll be people that are giving news, giving updates, sort of fundraising for various strike campaigns, but even our mayor, Charles Gray, would show up to the park sometimes and try and, like, petition for a peaceful end to things. Wow. 
Yeah, it didn't always go well for him. He specifically <laughs> would go there. So there was a sort of fight on the feet of City Hall on June 5th when there was a big anti-strike demonstration with people carrying big signs saying down with the Bolsheviks and deport the undesirable aliens. <laughs> and that turned into a fight between uh, strikers and the anti-strike side. And after that, the mayor bans public meetings and parades. And he went to Victoria Park on June 7th to sort of remind everyone that they weren't supposed to be having demonstrations and parades down Main Street anymore. Oh and then no one listened to him. And sorry, Victoria Park, just uh, I'm trying to picture yeah. that. Where would that have been? So it would have, the foot of it would have been at James Street and Waterfront, and it would have gone a little bit further north. Okay. The city closed it down basically the moment the strike ended, so we don't have the exact boundaries anymore. Once the strike was done, they were like, nope, we have to get rid of it. It's the meeting place for labor, and they had to cut that tie. Yeah, so you meant that mentioned the Mir Hotel, then you've got the Alexander Docks north yeah. of that, and then you've got some riverbank. Uh, and I think that riverbank has always been there yeah. historically. In fact, my grandparents both worked at that next building north. Oh. Uh, there was a glove factory yeah. during the war, and that's where my gra- grandparents oh, cool. actually met working uh, in that. <laughs> glove factory and my grandpa would always talk about the camps yeah. that were down uh, alongside of the Red River between the Alexander yeah. docks and and the factory where he worked so yeah. that's a very historic part of uh, of this whole discussion <laughs> yeah well, Sabrina Janke joining us live on 680 CJOB Exchange District Walking Tours. She is Special Assistant Research and Historical Initiatives. The website is exchangedistrict.org where you can go to find more information. Just click on Tours on the top banner and then Historic Walking Tours. And as she said, by appointment, you can go on a one-person tour for Strike. They have the Extended Walking Tour or they also just have Strike the Walking Tour. So how, how much more extended is the extended tour. So what we do on the extended one is we try and set up what happened in 1918 a little bit more because 1918 was not an easy year for Winnipeg. There was a massive city worker strike and then there was uh, the police tried to go on strike as well. And then there was an influenza epidemic that left many, many people off of work for six weeks or more while a ban was in place to sort of stop public meetings. Wow. So it really sets the tone for what's going to happen in 1919 because that tension bubbles up and then blows over. Sabrina, it's all very fascinating stuff. And we thank you for coming in to tell us about this yeah, as we continue to mark the anniversary. So thanks a lot. Perfect. Thank you. The Dauphin Country Fest, I confess, uh, I only know people that have been there. Haven't been. It's legendary. My camper trailer's been there several <laughs> times. In fact, I had the stickers on it to prove it for a long really? time. My dad used to take it up there, but my dad doesn't go up anymore. Dad, uh, too old for Country Fest, man? Never too old. I had more faith in you than that. Uh, but we want to get a wrap-up from the president of Dolphins Country Fest. Anne Ransom joins us now. Good morning, Anne. Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Well, we're doing great. You sound particularly chipper. Did you get a day <laughs> off to rest yesterday, Anne? Or was it uh, a busy day for you as it was, uh, I guess, starting Wednesday night? Uh, it's been busy all the way through. We're just uh, so happy to... Um, see everybody out at the festival and we had a great weekend so uh yeah had a little bit of rest uh sunday afternoon uh, a bit of a nap uh but right back at it for for cleanup and uh planning for our 2020s so we're right into the to the thick of it to, to get keep 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 things going are you basking in the glory of it all then give us some statistics Sure. So we had uh, about 9,000 people on site in terms of coming to the event, uh, our campsites. We had about 3,500 campers on site. So that's always a, a, a sight to see. Um, uh, we have about 1,500 volunteers that help us in terms of putting on the events from volunteers, scanning people in at the gate to 
uh, serving the beers up top to uh, event staff. Uh, even our cleanup crew is our band parents and our cadets program that clean up all the all the um, uh, cans and cups from the night before and uh, have it all ready to go first thing in the morning. And it looks brand new. So, yeah, uh, 1,500 volunteers to do that. So that's uh, about a quarter of our population of Dauphin <laughs> that come out and help out with the event. So, yeah, it's a good time. How was the weather? Was it? Did it ever get in the way over the weekend? Uh, there was a bit of a delay. Uh, you know what? We lucked out. It wouldn't be country fest if there wasn't a little bit of rain for us. So there was a bit of rain uh, on Saturday. But it wasn't the rain that sort of holds us back. It's the electrical storm. So if there's an electrical storm coming through for the safety of our patrons and also our artists, uh, we clear the amphitheater. And unfortunately, we had to do it a couple of times. But our festival patrons kind of know what's going on and kept them informed through our app and through our social media and announcements. And and uh, everybody had a great time with lots of positive feedbacks of, of you know, we, we it was timely, got people safe and undercover before the rain hit and keep our, our guys safe. And unfortunately, just had to cut a few acts a little short, uh, Chad Brownlee, Terry Clark. But of course, they're professionals and they understand and they want to see the festival patrons safe. So they did get to play a bit, but unfortunately, just had to kind of scale back their, their shows a little bit. Now, I understand there's another statistic that jumped out at me. Pounds of mm-hmm. bacon consumed in the bacon-eating <laughs> contest. So, 16 pounds. 16 pounds. Yeah, that seems like a lot of bacon, doesn't it? Well, So, how does this contest work? Is it just eat as much bacon as you can? Yeah, in a short period of time, and whoever ate the most, that's the winner. So, yeah, it's quite the, it's a fun, fun just a fun event. How can uh, Brett and I get involved in this <laughs> event for 2020? That's the big question. We will sign you up, absolutely. We'll save you a spot. <laughs> Sounds great. So, Anne, uh, 2020, obviously uh, already planning, I imagine. Have you got any acts that you can announce? And not that I can announce now, but our members will get sort of insider information first. Uh, they, they'll get that first, and then we'll announce it to the public in a, in a bit. Um, you know, it's Manitoba's 150, so we're going to be part of the provincial celebrations and celebrating our great province of Manitoba. Uh, we have some, we piloted a new project this year, actually. It was our Trash for Treats program mm-hmm. to help us in terms of, if, if you don't mind me talking about it for a bit, but... Um, we're we're so excited. We had our our campers were so enthusiastic about supporting the program, and it was if you brought us a bag of recycling or a bag of garbage, you were entered into a either meet or greet. So we had treats from corporate sponsors or even our local businesses in town to sort of promote, you know, keeping our campsites clean and and getting our festival patrons to pitch in, and it went so well that we're going to expand that program. So we had over 300 campsites participate and we just, it was a small little, just a pilot project and we were overwhelmed. It was awesome. We had about 1,200 bags of garbage and recycling turned in and then, uh, so we're looking at, we're going to make that huge next year so we're very excited to see that program and and see our festival patrons too they you know the people that come to our to our festival um they appreciate what we put on we we get lots of comments and and they know that it's volunteers that are doing the cleanup and people are really respectful of that they they really help us in terms of you know cleaning up what they have and and leaving the site as best as they can and ransom is dauphin's country fest president 
Congratulations on another successful event for your 30th birthday of the event. Thank you. And Ransom joining us live on 680 CJOB. Looking forward to the lineup for next year's Country Fest. This week, something really cool happening. A Century of Sound Connections National Conference. This is celebrating 100 years of contribution to culture, education, and music in Manitoba. The Manitoba Registered Music Teachers Association are hosting this event, and we are joined live in studio by Evangeline Keeley, who is conference co-chair, and Linda DePau, who is chair of the vocal competition. Evangeline and Linda, good morning to you. Thank you. Good, good morning. morning. So how long have you been a music teacher, Evangeline? I've been uh, teaching in Winnipeg for over 30 years now, and um, I've been a member of the MRMTA all that time. How about you, Linda? Yeah, I've been teaching for over 30 years as well, but I've been a member of MRMTA for 20 years. So it's a a special connection music teachers have with students, whether it's a one-on-one situation like the two of you or in the classroom. There's something about pulling out that artistic side of a student and and helping them discover that must be very special, Evangeline. It is very rewarding. Um, There have been moments in my studio where you see a a child's eyes open up that they've understood something that you've been trying to uh, get through to them for a while. And that, that I find particularly rewarding. What kind of music do you teach? Like, do you teach just one specific instrument or do you teach a bunch of different things, Linda? Well, I'm primarily a singing teacher, although I have taught some piano as well. And I find in my studio, it's interesting that I would get a lot of adult students who may have been told at some time in their life not to sing, to stand in the back and keep their mouth shut. Those people love... (laughs) Greg's got his hand up right now. (laughs) Those people you can really open up and they discover they do have a voice and they have an ability hidden in there and they're so delighted when it's allowed to come out. What is it about singing that just... It's a a form of expression that um, I always say just because you can't doesn't mean you shouldn't. (laughs) <laughs> right? Whether, you, whether you're able to carry a tune or not, there's something about singing along with your favorite song, whether it's at Rainbow Stage or in your car or in, in the shower. It's, it's such an incredible form of expression. What, what do you love about singing so much? Well, it is a very personal thing. With uh, instruments, you have something between you and the audience, but with singing, it's just that direct communication that you have, I think. I think the research is there, too, just to show that singing is just good for you. You know, keep doing it. Breathe along with everybody else and let your voice out. What are you, what kind of, what do you teach for music? I teach piano. Yeah? Mm -hmm. And how many students do you think you've had over the years? Oh, goodness. I was thinking about that not too long ago, uh, and I wish I had kept track. Yeah. But I would say maybe... 250? I I really have no idea. Some students stay with you for quite a while, and others maybe only two or three years. So um, 
it would be challenging to come up with a list. Now, the piano lessons, there's always the practicing, <laughs> the dreaded practicing. 20 minutes a day. You've got to practice 20 minutes a day. And my, my son takes, one of my boys takes piano, and he, he laments the, the practicing. But as soon as he gets on there, you know, the fingers start flowing, and, and he enjoys it. I think it's like anything that's extra special. Uh, I always say it's like Thanksgiving di- dinner. You, you would prefer to miss it, but once you go, you can't imagine. <laughs> not going piano is sort of like that isn't it it's a skill that you're grateful for once you've honed it yes and um another we were talking about rewards as a teacher and another one is seeing the student who doesn't want to practice but somehow being convinced that they need to and what they see as the reward of accomplishing what they didn't think they could do now linda in your teachings, you say that sometimes you get adults who come in yes. and uh, they, they're, they've they been told maybe they shouldn't sing. Do you ever end up telling people, you know what, you really shouldn't sing? <laughs> <laughs> no, I never tell people no, that. <laughs> I definitely do not. I think everyone does have a voice and that voice can always be improved. Well, good for you. That's far more diplomatic than uh, than what I was expecting. So that's, that's very kind. It's good to know that if I were to decide to go to a teacher that I would be given met with such diplomacy. Her last name's not Cowell. I know. It's I know. T'Pau. It's not Cowell. <laughs> <laughs> Referencing, of course, Simon Cowell, uh, American Idol. Th- those competitions are uh, extraordinary, I think, in uh, giving people who maybe have been told by others that, that haven't really got a clue about what you're supposed to sound like, an opportunity to express themselves and, and to, to share their talents. What's your take on these talent competitions? Do you enjoy them? I don't watch them a great deal, but I certainly, you can't avoid them, so I have watched some of them. I think what they don't show is all the work that goes into those mm. performances. You know, the, sometimes you get the impression that people just have talent and they just land on a stage and do it. But no, they work hard to get there. Why do you think, Evangeline, teaching music and continuing to teach music is important? Well, there is a lot of research that shows that um, music, people who take music lessons um, also improve their abilities in other areas. And music itself contains a lot of different aspects. There's a lot of math in music. That's something I wish my uh, piano teacher in high school had pointed out to me because maybe math wouldn't have been such a dreaded subject. Um, There's a lot of poetry in music, not just in lyrics, but just in the music itself. If you think of of, um, oral poetry, I guess. Um, And just the reward of accomplishing things that um, you might not think you could do. Yeah, that whole connection to uh, greater life and and the bigger picture in life, I think, is, is extraordinary. And that confidence that you that you can uh, gain by by learning a musical instrument, piano in particular, is it true what they say about piano? If you learn how to play piano, the rest of the instruments are easier to learn, is, or is that a myth? Well, I I did play clarinet in high school. And when I picked that up, my piano teacher was very worried that I would quit piano. And I knew that she had nothing to worry about because the piano could play, you could play multiple notes at a time on the piano and clarinet, you were restricted to one. And that to me was not quite boring, but bordering. (laughs) So yeah, I think there's some truth in that, that when you play piano, the other instruments are not too challenging, maybe. 
I've never played it. I've never played strings though, like violin or. Yeah, that's a different. Different thing different altogether. Thing, I think. Yeah. So the event then, uh, Linda, the conference is from July 3rd to the 6th. It's at the National Conference here in Winnipeg, a century of sound connections. And it starts Wednesday with a gala concert at the Grand Ballroom at the Fort Garry Hotel. So can you tell us a little bit about this event that's happening Wednesday? We're very excited about this concert. It's going to be spectacular. And I, I find it hard to control my enthusiasm when I think about the people who will be performing I can speak from the point of view of the vocal competition. We have three international performers who are coming to Winnipeg, and one of them has never been to Winnipeg before. Oh. Adrian Piachonka said she would come because she thought it would be it was time for her to get here and visit the city. But she sings all over the world at the Met, at the Opera House in London, and she's going to be here singing in Winnipeg. It's very exciting. How did you get her? I emailed her and she said yes. Wow. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to ask. <laughs> you just have to ask. And then Russell Brown, another wonderful performer um, who's an international star. And when I say star, I really mean it. These people are all over the world singing. And he will be coming to Winnipeg as well. And then our own John Greer, who's a composer, conductor, and uh, repetiteur will be playing as well another international performer we're very excited about hearing them on wednesday so can the public uh, participate as well for sure the concert is open to the public and tickets are on sale at centuryofsound2019.com they'll also be available at the door for people who want to come and join us at the concert and where will the concert be it's at the Fort Garry Hotel in the Grand Ballroom. Oh, my. Marvelous venue for anything, let alone uh, music. Oh, this sounds like an, an exciting event. Just before I let you go, with, with all the changes that happening in education, not only potentially in Manitoba, but across the country, we see this a lot in the United States where extracurricular activities are under duress and they're under stress. Is this a concern, something that... Uh, people will be talking about at the conference. How do we preserve music education with, within the greater education system? For sure it's a concern, and it's very much something that our organizations feel responsible for uh, supporting. You know, we want to be out there supporting music in the schools, supporting private music education. We think it's very important. So we do lobby, and that we consider that part of our job, for sure. You can get more information at centuryofsound2019.com. The National Conference happening right here in Winnipeg, July 3rd to the 6th, hosted by the Manitoba Registered Music Teachers Association. And in studio with us, Evangeline Keeley, who is the conference co-chair, and Linda DePau, who is chair of the vocal competition. The vocal competition, what does that entail? Well, we have singers from across Canada who will be performing in that. So we have six lovely singers who've been sent by their provinces to come and compete here. The standard is expected to be extremely high. And those competition events are also open to the public. You can buy tickets online or at the door. And so we invite people to come and hear some marvelous singing. Will the two of you be performing? Maybe you play the piano, Evangeline, and uh, Linda can sing? No? I'm running around being the co-chair. <laughs> 18 hour days ahead of you, I suspect. Uh, well, this morning started earlier than usual. So. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. Yeah, that's good. It will well, be good. Thanks for sharing the information on this. Congratulations on bringing this back to Manitoba. First time in 20 years. Is that correct? Correct. Well, marvelous. Uh, should be a wonderful week to mm-hmm. host people from uh, from across the country. Thank you so much. For sure. Thank you.
Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on CJOB. Talk soon.